the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Yeah, but it uses Nabla. Like yeah. it's connected with Nabla. I'm saying separate. Oh, like if the like oh, you make like it, it was, like separate oh, things. Like if it was not connected to Nabla anymore. Yeah. But in some way, the the whole definition relates to Nabla. How would you define that without Nabla? I don't know. What? <laughs> How can you define? That's what I'm saying. Okay. In your head, you're no, like, no, 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 oh no, yeah, obviously. But you can switch out variables. You can't switch out operators though, because like. I mean, why not? Because the definition of a divergence or the change the definition. Okay, that's just. Well, then it means something else, though. That's what I'm saying. Then no, it's no, no, it else. doesn't. It's it, not a no, curl anymore. No, it, if you're changing the definition no, of saying, divergence, that's not divergence. I'm saying anymore. it's the same thing, but you write it down differently. You write it down differently. That's I wouldn't all I'm know saying. How, how to even think of that? I wouldn't even know how to think of how to do that differently. Okay, pretend A is B. <laughs> no, but what I'm trying to say is, if like the only way to define divergence or the way that it's defined is in terms of how it's moving in all these directions, which then in turn is defined the only way by the gradient operator, by the its its respective derivatives. So in this case, you can't just change the definition of this divergence and not use gradient anymore because the literal meaning of divergence depends on how these things are diverging. No, I know. I'm saying the, the, the meaning is the same thing, but you write it down differently. Okay, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're saying. Imagine Nabla is not a thing. It's but not the, a but thing. But dx, dy, dz are a thing. Sure. Of course. But maybe th those are written down differently too. So you're just saying like different ways of representing it. Yeah. That's okay. Obviously, that's different. That's just like how, that's just like notation. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. That also helps. Okay. Okay. I guess. <laughs> we were talking about notation. I guess too. Okay. Whatever. Anyways. Yeah. Notation is important, especially coming back to that quote where mathematicians can mainly just kind of agree with themselves. I don't know if... Oh, yeah, no, the point I was trying to get to okay, yeah. is actually that the, f the fact that divergence and curl and gradient are all combined with this gradient operator, to us, makes perfect sense, right? Why? Because mathematics is written mm -hmm. for mathematicians. To somebody else, what do those things have anything to do with each other? It uses the same symbol in some weird combination, but it, like, yeah, to them it looks the same, but to us it does something different. Something different, but connected in a deeper sense. I feel that. I yeah, feel that. That's, that's powerful. Yeah, I guess that's. That's what also I was sometimes to to. when you can like misuse notation, like uh, abuse notation, where you use the multiple, like you use the same thing. Yeah. Like, Nabla, yeah. Like, Laplace, yeah. like you know that like they all yeah, use the yeah. goddamn same thing. Yeah. And then you're like, what is doing what? And only a mathematician or like a physicist, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that person who is related with that topic would be able to understand but that's also, what operators That's also used. really useful though. Like if you, if you understand the content to where you can like accurately abuse notation and other people understand what you mean, then that's fine, right? Like doing, doing Nabla squared, what does that really mean? You know what I mean? What does that really mean? What are you doing? You're abusing notation by doing Nabla squared. We interpret it as Nabla 
dot product nabla but at the end of the day you're you're dot producting two operators together mm-hmm. to make a new operator and then like yeah. that just it gets very it gets very notationally important where you would need to know the fundamentals to truly get to know what that means like yeah. to truly understand it yeah. right well i think we will switch the episode a little earlier and maybe this will be part of the second part because really? i think i think i kind of want that so if you're listening to this i hope it's on the second part because i think it'll be really cool if we just stop the first episode like when we say something really intriguing <laughs> okay. and they're just pop all right so so we can just start with the ne- yeah okay so if this is the next episode um which it which it should be welcome back we're continuing our part on history of physics talking about copernicus and leonardo da vinci and on this one mm-hmm. on this part we're talking about two new individuals that you probably already read in the title so hold on what were we talking about yeah we, i I'm mean we're gonna continue the conversation we're just gonna continue it like it like it's another part yeah well yeah. we were talking about notation but i think we yeah. kind of finished that yeah a bit. notation is important copernicus is cool Da Vinci is also cool. Mm-hmm. Copernicus has some good quotes. So does Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. You know. Now we can move on, on to our other two individuals for the night. Well, astronomy. 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 Yeah, that the could be stars. That could be basically this this part of the podcast. planets. Yeah. And pulsars. Bars. <laughs> so, the person I wanted to bring up next galileo galilei crazy guy crazy guy he's got some really good um some really good um experiments observations and inventions under his belt he was actually born 1564 so almost a hundred years after copernicus and so he was born in in pisa in italy and he went to the university of pisa and famously very famously he's known to strongly agree with the heliocentric model of the universe which makes sense do you think you would have been a supporter at the time It would be uh, be questionable because, like, it's, I don't know. Would you? To be honest, I'd like to think so. Yeah. I don't know if the risk-reward factor would be worth it, though, to have the church on your back. You know? That's the only thing, right? Like, do you, like, your opinion, if it if it holds any ground, might stir some other people up. Exactly. Which might entail bad stuff's gonna happen to you you know (laughs) so yeah it might not be it might not be the cleverest idea because actually interestingly enough um was it no 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 no. i'm forgetting it was um it was either galileo or it was kepler who it was one of them that kept their papers till the very end of their life i thought that was a newton no, no, Newton just did that because he was a 
because he was yeah. a, a little bit of an idiot. But uh, I'm saying one of them basically kept I think Copernic- a lot of their... Copernicus did publish something like as he died. Yeah. Because I know that one of them basically was was keeping their papers till their end because they knew that it would spark a lot of controversy mm. if it ever kind of came up. Because obviously, like, they held a lot of... Because if you remember, if, if you make, like, scientific discoveries and then you're like, oh, this is true, this is true, and everyone's like, oh, crap, oh, no way, no way. And then you're like, I'm just going to break everyone's understanding of reality. You're like, oh, hold up. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Even though you believed everything else, you know, this is like, no, no, this breaks my reality. That I just didn't know about. This breaks my reality. I can't believe that. That's like their understanding at that point. You know, so I don't know if I want to get in. The, I don't know if I want to get in the <laughs> middle of that. <laughs> you know? So Galileo, strong supporter, strong support. Um, famously, he uh, built a telescope. Mm. He was, you know, one of the one of the grandfathers of precise astronomical observations because realistically you can only do so much with your eyes and you know you could sit there as long as you want and look at the stars and i don't know how but measure the positions like how would you even do that measure the positions of the stars with your eyes i guess it would be just the guess just the hey that looks like no i don't even know (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know how you would start i don't even know how you would start but uh yeah the point is that uh galileo had enough of it and he took matters into his own hands he obviously did some research into optics and optics is super super interesting especially it's interesting now because there's a field called quantum optics, which is, I feel like I want to relate everything to quantum mechanics <laughs> because it's, it's just so, it's just so there. Everything you do technically has quantum effects that are just very negligible. Mm-hmm. And just, I a, guess, I mean, at this time though, just a real, just a real um, one minute talk about quantum mechanics. Photons carry energy right photons allow you to tell where things are with your eyes we know now that photons are these discrete particles well they're absorbed discreetly but they live in this like wave nature slash particle duality realm and everything breaks down when you go to the fundamental level of observations if you try to observe something one photon at a time automatically you're gonna run into some problems if you're assuming a classical world because photons don't behave classically Mm -hmm. now in the realm of quantum optics now this is like very on the surface but you study like the polarization of photons which what an insane idea right that you send an unpolarized photon through an analyzer and you make it vertically polarized and then you send it through a 45 degree analyzer and the photon has to pick 
with a 50-50% chance whether to transmit or to not transmit. Insane. I don't know what this has to do with anything. But <laughs> no, this has to do with optics. Okay, just I think a very interesting thing though at this whole time was that all of these individuals were so interested with the big things. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? That's like, true. No one's even thinking about it. Like as you were talking about I mean, that, maybe... I'm just like thinking in the mind of someone living in this age where everybody is talking about the stars, the planets, the sun. What about... I feel like that's not true. What do you mean? People were definitely thinking about ma- like chemists back in that time. If chemistry was a thing. Was chemistry a thing? We just don't know enough about <laughs> chemistry. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't know. Was. It definitely was. But what, like, you know... No, because matter. Exactly. Matter had been. But if chemistry was a no, thing, matter. if chemistry was a thing back then, then they were seeing these like weird reactions. And then you're asking like, what, why? Why does it react this way? It obviously has to do with what the thing is made of. So clearly they were trying to investigate the smaller divisions of matter. The atom was discovered in the 1800s. That's like 200 years after this. Yeah, it's a long time. So that's what I'm saying. So they probably so maybe they had like ideas about okay, this is happening, but they did not have the slightest clue about what to do with that. You know, like what I'm I'm just I'm just intrigued by yeah. the fact that they see these planetary bodies. I guess they're much more visible than atomic bodies, but you see these planetary bodies, and obviously your first thing is to hey, let's observe them, let's classify them, and let's deduce things from these, you know, and not instead look at our own planet. You know, it's insane though. What's that? If light were to be like continuous and not discrete, then quantum mechanics would just not be a thing. I don't think the universe. Well, like what? I mean, this I mean, is okay. This is a lot of things. This is under the right. This is under the assumption that we are okay. alive right okay. now. Okay. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Light just somehow. But if bah, we continues, if, if we discovered that light were actual just waves and not discrete at all in any sense, then quantization of energy is just not a thing. Because you can just divide as much as you want. Now there's no such thing as discrete energy levels. No such no such thing as uh, like um, spectral emissions in atoms. No such thing as uh, quantized angular momentum or anything like that. It would be a crazy world. It would be a crazy. It would be a crazy world. It might be an easier world to live in though, because yeah. you describe everything classically, and then it just works all the way down to the bone, and then you got everything figured out. That would be yeah. pretty classic. Okay, back to telescopes. Back to telescopes. Because telescopes are crazy inventions. Because telescopes also tie in with the other guest of the night, mm-hmm. Johannes Kepler, oh. who also made significant discoveries in astronomy, mm-hmm. continued, you know, Kepler's theory, three laws. Keplerian telescope was invented by him. Just a little bit different from the original Galilean telescope. We can talk about that. But yeah, so even he was super into the night sky, right? Like just observing things Mm. and interestingly enough he um was not the individual credit i don't think if anyone knew this but uh he was not the individual credited with like discovering and cataloging all his stars that was actually Mm -hmm. his perfect well he was this his assistant so i'm I'm assuming like his supervisor or whoever that was named tycho tycho brahe tycho brahe Famous guy for 20 years. Thanks. This guy 
was observing stars. Wow. And he cataloged stars. Wow. Stars is motion. All that kind of stuff through the telescope. Right? Through a telescope that was very, very obviously not sophisticated. Not even close to this day and age. But he did it through his way back in the day. Through obviously the closer stars. And through that catalog and that knowledge of stars, Kepler was basically able to... Or it, it helped him formulate his famous three laws of motion. Mm. Right? So yeah. Telescopes make a lot of this possible. Now, what is the point of telescopes? So if you think about it, the point of a telescope is to make your eye bigger. It's basically a very fancy magnifying glass. Yeah, well, you, you want to increase the amount of information that your eye can absorb. Mm -hmm. So a telescope is usually a tube, right? Mm. Or at least in this case, the refracting telescope. Or even the reflecting telescope. It's a big tube. And you can imagine as if the opening of the tube is your, your pupil, but just dilated up. And so imagine if your pupil was that big, just how much information can enter mm. your eyes. Because if you think about it, because remember, reflecting telescopes weren't a thing at this time. So if you think about it, um, the only, like, your eye itself is a lens, mm -hmm. right? So we think about things coming in or converging or diverging as in, in terms of, because we understand lenses at this point. We understand how light moves through lenses. You know, that's, that's a well-known thing. So if we think about, I don't know if this is how they thought about it, but this would be a really cool way to think about it. Because if you think about how your eye works, it's a, it's a, it's a concave lens. And what that does is it basically concentrates, converges. Your, it converges the light rays onto a singular point, the focal point, where your retina state, or no, not your, I not don't know. very good with biology, <laughs> something stays there. And it basically concentrates on your retina, no, no, it's, it's your retina. It concentrates on your retina, and that's the idea of your eye. So if you want to look at something much, much farther away, you can just think about it like anything really far, your eye can't really, your eye can't really deceive. So why don't we make a bigger lens discern or discern? Why don't we make a much bigger lens that can hopefully take in a larger number one field of view and also get very, very, very far objects. Right. And like that was kind of like the first premise. I mean, I, w I don't know if they thought about it like this, but that would be really Wait, cool. Do you mean smaller field of view? Because. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, technically <laughs> for the sky. No, no, of course. Of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, no, no, of course. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. For the, yeah, of course. Much smaller field of view compared to the eye. But I'm saying like in terms of the telescope. Yeah, sorry. So in terms of the eye, obviously, you're concentrating your view because of the larger lens. But the advantage of number one, just this idea is that, hey. If my eye can converge light onto one point, why can't I just make a bigger eye? You know, I don't know if that's how they thought about it, but that would be really cool. So refracting telescopes. Because he, he uh, wasn't the first, right? Galileo wasn't the first to make the telescope, the, the refracting telescope. I think he was. I don't think he was the first. Okay. I think he was like a guy that did that, that did. Okay, just just continue on talking about his yeah. telescope contributions. Maybe I'll, I mean maybe I'll... I was just gonna say how like refracting telescopes work. Go for it. So there are actually two lenses. The first lens is a this is the Galilean refracting telescope. 
other refracting telescopes can be made a little bit differently. But the first lens was a half concave lens. So the first side of it was con, sorry, convex, half convex. Wait, am I, am I getting this backwards? Convex is when it's like this, right? Yeah. That's convex. Concave is. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, convex. Now in convex lenses, those converge the light rays. Oh wait, then I said concave when I was talking about my eye. Oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. Oh yeah, convex. Oh yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Shoot. My, so, my fault. yeah, so the first lens converges the light rays closer together. And then the second lens is a concave lens, which actually disperses the light. I don't think disperse is the right word, but it essentially separates the it light. Refracts. It refracts the light. Refracts. Yeah, it refracts yeah. the light. It refracts the light. And so what is it now? Telescope? Where, where, where is this? Where is this lens placed? Is it important? Is it? It's not. Well, they it's a little because it's not at the focal point, right? Because no, the it's way, after the focal exact, point. No, right? no, it, isn't it before? Am no, I it's a, it's after. Okay. Yeah. It is after. I swear, after was Keplerian. Am I dripping? I have the diagram in front of me. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's right there. It is after. Yeah. No, that's Keplerian, bro. Oh. This guy's reading the long telescope. That's what I'm yeah, saying. That's Keplerian. So yeah, so they're, they all work the same no, though, I mean, like no, essentially. No, the whole point okay, of the well, Keplerian is that it's different. Okay, well what is <laughs> <laughs> better. Okay, one of them is before the focal point, one of them's after the focal yeah. point. But I'm just trying to explain <laughs> the telescope itself. Um there's so yeah, there's two lenses. One converges the light rays, one refracts the light rays. Essentially you can take a big image and the concave one or sorry the convex one makes the image smaller and then you have you have a smaller concave lens and that just separates the light rays so that they hit your eye and then you can see all the information that was in the view of the big tube so yeah Basic what, do, do you know do you know the difference between yeah so i was i was kind of kind of going back and forth with them and basically like the galilean telescope uh, uh, diverges the light rays on the second on the second lens, like it comes in and goes whoosh, right. Yeah. The Keplerian telescope converges the light rays on its second lens, and it's done after the focal point, right? So number one it converges it after converges. So number one, yeah, because think about it, right? Because it's going out and then think about it, right? So there are two convex lenses. No, there's one. Okay. Oh yeah, no, there are two. Yeah, wait, that's. What do you mean? They're two convex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In Keplerian. Yeah. In Keplerian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In Keplerian, they're two convex. In Galilean, it's a convex and then oh. a concave. So in Galilean... So Keplerian was probably better then. Yeah, Keplerian is yeah. better. So in, in, in Galilean telescopes, you get the light. And, okay, again, for those people that are not seeing the podcast, I guess my, my hand doesn't mean anything. But basically, the, uh, the, the light rays are, as they're converging towards the focal point, you basically put a lens right over there in the middle. I mean, not in the middle, but you basically put it before the focal point such that it hits it and diverges to your eye, right? And the Keplerian telescope basically hits its focal point. So the two light rays basically intersect and it then hits a lens, which then converges the light rays into your eye. Mm. So yeah, the difference here is that if the light passes the focal point, then the image inverse inverts. Mm -hmm. So that was one disadvantage 
with the Keplerian telescope that, hey, your image is inverted. But the advantage is that you actually get a much wider field of view and really know the physics behind it. Like, I mean, is no, it? No, I haven't studied telescopes I, I've at really all. I have studied this. Again, it was just like a research study yeah. before the episode. I just know like the effects of yeah, lenses. Yeah, like again, because number one, sense. I know the image looks better on a, on a Keplerian telescope. And number one, you get a larger field number of two. view. And yeah. no, sorry, and and number two, and you get you, you get a larger field of view than the Galilean simply yeah. because of the lens placed a little bit after. Again, the physics behind it, I'm a, I'm I'm thinking about it like as I'm saying this, which should not be done on a podcast. Like I should definitely have this thought about before, but I'm thinking about it, like how it would widen the field of view, and the only thing that I can think of is that the con concave lens in the galilean telescope it has to be placed closer to the eye right I'm, I'm guessing because if it diverges the light rays then you're going to be missing a lot of the yeah, so outside it has to be placed so so, so like because also you're cutting off a little bit of that and then you're also diverging the light rays that are not all coming to the focal point yeah in this case in the keplerian case you're converging all of the light rays that come on to that point i yeah. don't know if that's I don't know if that's a good explanation. If anyone has a better one, feel free to message us. I'll be very, very inqu inquisitive to listen or very, very intrigued to listen to that because it's interesting. Because, mm. I mean, I, I was doing a little searches here and there and I never really got a con like a concrete answer, but it was basically around like, hey, because obviously the Keplerian, the Keplerian telescope was made after the Galilean telescope. So I don't know why you would make the same thing, but worse. <laughs> so I would just assume it would be better. Also, I searched it up. The image Galileo, was clearer. The image was clearer, sure. but again, it was inverted. So actually what was done um, in modern day Keplerian telescopes, like if you want to kind of simulate it, is they would put a prism in between the uh, in between the lens and the eye to flip back the image. Mm. Yeah. So, and that actually made it really heavy. And like, it's, so it's, it's a little bit of a disadvantage now because of that. So like it, like if you're comparing them one to one, like a Galilean is a lot lighter than a Keplerian, but again, Keplerian has advantages here. This one has advantages here, yeah. right? So it's it's kind of a here and there. But these telescopes are basically kind of what define these individuals in terms of their, or I guess not Kepler, but in in terms of Galileo, it kind of defined his whole his whole mark on science. Also, one year prior to Galileo's invention, the telescope was invented. One year, just 1608, mm. this one guy invented it, and then 1609, Galileo invented his. Yeah, it's just a little bit late. It's really cool. Well, what did Galileo actually do? Well, he first of all observed the moon. Mm. I think I would do that first as well if I just invented the telescope. Yeah, it's like you the know, the moon. I think is the, the moon. Yeah, it's I mean, like it's the biggest closest. thing in the sky at night. Isn't 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 he the guy that also discovered that? Uh, I might be wrong. That. The stars are not as close as we think, because that was, I think so. Someone. But but that's just that was someone in this era. You can you can do that, um, like as soon as you have a telescope, you can basically figure that out. Yeah, because so, um, he no, might not have been the one. Because again, with the geocentric and that, like with with that whole model as well, like stars were not thought about to be that far. Yeah. Like stars were just thought about to be like, oh, it's just one pla yeah. one planet size away kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. You know, so they didn't even think about it. To and also, also Da Vinci also uh, uh, noticed and stated again, just going back, but Da Vinci also stated that the sun is, I'm gonna paraphrase here, but is radiant and is hot, which is something that again 
is like oh it's an actual I mean, being you can what, tell like, <laughs> if you're outside during the day so, you can feel the hot. heat i guess i guess you're right <laughs> you, but again, you step you, in you the shade it. and it's cold or you step guess, in the sun i guess, and I guess he formulated it but like the way he was talking about it was like i don't think it's possible number one for it to just be in orbit of something like us especially like with other stars so anyways anyways i just wanted yeah. to bring that in because i thought one of these astronomers had done that because i think one of them did hmm. and it's really cool i mean who knows my phone went off yeah we're just gonna yeah we're just gonna continue okay. using that uh so first of all he observed the moon he found out that it wasn't smooth and he does have um these like famous drawings of the moon it's like the oh, first yeah? like detailed drawings of the moon yeah he did that did he do like craters no yeah totally well, not like the small ones. Yeah, no, the, of course, but the like big ones. Relative. Yeah. And also, he drew yeah. like you know the you know the channels on the moon, like the lines. Yeah, he drew all of those oh, as well. Yeah. That's pretty precise. That's pretty precise. Yeah, and I actually have a telescope at home, and uh, you can actually see the moon very well. I actually have a picture on my phone. I'll show you after. Um, but it's very, it's a very cool sight because you look through the telescope and you're like, damn, that is that is literally the moon that I'm looking at with my own eyes, and it looks so detailed. It was crazy. Anyways. Yeah, the moon is a very interesting object, especially if you're a first person with a telescope. Yeah. You know, you're like, <laughs> yeah, that'd imagine. be really like, cool. Come on. Yeah. Like, you have this crazy device. You're like, you're like, imagine how many girls you can pick up. <laughs> like, yo, you want to look at that? <laughs> just saying. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, that would be like the talk of the town. Yeah. This guy has sure. a telescope. You can see the moon. Yeah, no, that's definitely come on. very. Come on. It's definitely a very, like, like, oh, like, like, That's like a popular thing. I feel like yeah. in his town, he was known as like that guy with the telescope. Yeah. But also, <laughs> also, I don't think he was letting that many people look through it. You know, like it's. A, yeah, I don't know what kind of person he was, or. But I mean, in general, like if you, joke, have, but, you have you yeah. have this very. Like, I know, but I'm saying, if you think about it, it's like this very expensive tool yeah, that he right. built that with that his time, own hands. Because these lenses yeah. must have been so <laughs> yeah, expensive, man. So because lenses these days are like okay well obviously these days but i'm saying like back in the day to even construct a lens yeah. might have been quite expensive yeah. so i can definitely imagine especially with the size because i believe the galilean telescope the it's first three one feet, was three feet long how wide was it i don't know like how wide was a lens do you know i don't know because that could probably be important because that usually tells the price of the lens because that can be because even like the thickness oh man there are so, there are so many things about telescopes we can literally, like, if we do enough work, we can literally make an episode on yeah, telescopes. No, we could. Like, the amount of different properties. Oh, we should just get lenses. a guest on for that. Sorry? We can get a guest on. We could get a guest That'd on. That would be really cool. We could get a guest on. Because, be cool. like, the number of properties for, like, the lens, for, like, the mirrors, for the diameter, for the focal length, for the type of mirror, it's all so crazy, especially these days with modernized telescopes. Even, like, refractors have mirrors, even reflectors have refractors. Like, they all, they're all, like, they're all yeah. basically one best telescope almost so you can like pick and choose but there's so many options so telescopes are definitely really cool and yeah i mean they really advance they really advance science okay i'm gonna move on <laughs> i'm gonna move on to kepler man hold on That's, hold oh, on oh, i hardly said anything oh i thought yet. you were gonna i thought you were gonna say move on no like, okay um Continue. so he was the first to observe jupiter's four largest moons wow clearly impossible to do without a telescope can't even you get that one. No, you, <laughs> yeah, how would you even unthinkable. how would you even which if you think about wait this was probably the first discovery that another planet also yeah moons. definitely damn because there's no way you could tell without a telescope. yeah 100 no 100 
So he found the four largest ones. I'm pretty sure he also uh, was the first to observe uh, Saturn's rings. I think we talked spoke about I that. I think we did. Earlier. I do recall this. I do recall this. Um wait, which which planet has like 67, 69 planet like which 69 Jupiter. Saturn uh, satellites Jupiter? Jupiter. Jupiter big one. Yeah. Damn. For sure. That's like For sure. Yeah. Yeah, cuz how can it be Saturn? Yeah, it can't be yeah, Saturn. No, it's not Saturn. Keep hitting it. <laughs> um so Galileo's proof of heliocentrism. Okay. Let's hear it. Here we go. Now heliocentric model of the universe we have the sun in the middle and then we have a couple planets in between the earth and the sun now what happens to a planet that's within the orbit of the earth well we'd be able to see that planet on any side of the sun we'd be able to see it on the left the right, in front, behind. Now, similar to the moon, when the moon is orbiting the earth, we see the sun illuminating one side of the moon and keeping the other side dark, and we have phases because of the angle at which we're looking at the moon. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, this would be the exact same thing with Venus because Venus would be on the left side of the sun, we would see a half, a half planet. I was going to say half moon, but <laughs> we would see like a right half illuminated. If it's on the other side, we see the other half. If it's in between the sun and the earth, we would still get this like outer glow, but it would be kind of like a, a planetary eclipse. Is that the word? Planetary eclipse? That planet? Yeah. Good enough. Um, so yeah, he actually observed the phases of Venus and he's like, Hey, we have proof that there are other planets also orbiting the sun. So, you know, <laughs> you know, there you go. Dude, damn. There you go. We have, we have proof. Wow. No, that's definitely. He, he also, impressive. he also observed stars that were not visible to the naked eye. And he also showed that what we see as the Milky Way, because back then you could see the Milky Way if you're in a city. Um, I mean, not yeah, back in the day. Yeah, back, back in the day. In, you could see the Milky Way. And people just thought that was space, just space colors. But actually, he showed that those are all just a lot, a lot of small stars put together that makes that glow, that galactic glow. Wow, that's very interesting yeah. that they could still, you know, kind of make kind of summaries, I would say, on a galactic level just with this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. That's definitely really cool. And yeah, uh, the last thing is uh, he found Neptune, but he didn't. Oh, yeah, that's a he didn't think it was a planet at first. Oh. I don't think I don't think he ever thought it was a planet, but he noted it down. And then I guess someone else. Was chimed like, hey, in. Hey, that's wait a minute. Chimed in. Wait a minute. That one's right there. <laughs> yeah. That must have been fun. So Kepler, very similar to I mean, very similar to Galileo in the sense that, you know, he was also hi highly related to optics. He's with light here and there. He actually, believe it or not, even though Galileo constructed the first telescope, or quote unquote first telescope, 
uh, uh, Kepler actually um, formally wrote it, uh, wrote it, uh, uh, formally wrote it down scientifically. He basically showed how the light rays passed through the telescope. That whole crazy diagram that you were showing mm-hmm. was basically Kepler's Kepler's diagram yeah. of the telescope for yeah. the very first, and that was the Keplerian telescope. And that's how he basically interpreted the light kind of converging or and the light basically coming into the telescope from wherever it was, right? So Kepler basically, I mean, to start off, he was, I mean, German, also a polymath, I guess, because also, I mean, all, all of these guys are involved in a lot of different sciences. Interestingly enough, Kepler was a very fond believer in religion. And he actually went to university for theology, interestingly enough. And believe it or not, also a fond, fond member of the astrology club. So was Copernicus. Yeah. Yeah. So at that time, um, there wasn't a lot of money or interest in astronomy. Like, who the hell cares? Wait, why? I feel like the kings were... What they cared about is astrology. Wait, I actually it's read what some... What they cared about was, what does that star being there mean for me? They don't care about mm. what that star being no, that's there true. means. But that's what I was I was going to say, that the kings would sponsor these astronomers to like find planets or find things and name them after the kings or something like that. Like, just to have the honor of like having your own thing. So they would sponsor like research i mean no yeah i mean kings would still be like interested i could still see them well obviously not in the science like they don't care about the science the scientific aspect was not really interesting they just care about the the coolness so that is so kepler interestingly enough was a huge advocator for astrology and he was like reading people's horoscopes here and there because he actually he was quite quite the talk of the town because also, uh, remember, he understood the actual meanings of the stars and the planets and what, like, where they were or the meanings or the lack thereof. But in some sense, because he was still rooted in theology, like, he was still a very God-fearing person, I believe. So that's why I'm assuming that's where the astrological aspect came from. So he was actually quite a big thing in astrology, even though throughout his entire career he was still promoting like not to listen to astrology like it predicts your life like he would still refrain from stating that this is the way the world works he would never he's not stupid you know (laughs) he just he says like hey this could be cool if this affects you that's cool if this is how your life is going to work cool but that's not actually accurate you know that's just your feeling towards this particular situation so that was basically a little bit of Kepler and a little bit of like what he did. But obviously his biggest contributions to the world of science is his three phenomenal laws of planetary phenomenal. motion. Phenomenal. Phenomenal laws. I agree. Of planetary motion. Kepler basically observed these bodies and was like, hey, let me just make these deductions on them. That's basically what he said. And he's like, let me think about how I would describe the motion of these objects around 
well the sun because at this point it was just like a hundred years after like it wasn't like still common ground but like people were starting to believe in the heliocentric model because they're like hey you know what now that we have a telescope maybe it's a little more accurate you know where's sun like sunshades probably like could you see the sun at that time like if they had like those proper proper uv filters probably not because uh, like right now to see the sun you need like a uv filter like you need a proper tried. filter probably people died people definitely got blinded not died, died. people definitely got blinded yeah because i know there's a story i think there's a famous story with one guy getting blinded because he accidentally looked at the sun i swear this is a history of physics i'm getting a deja vu right now i used to i used to look at I the sun as a kid not for long with a telescope <laughs> no with my okay. with, that's what I'm saying. It's no, not, not that's a what telescope. I'm it's with a telescope where it kills you. I'm just, I'm just like saying, like, I'm, I would look at the sun for like five seconds, and I'd be like, "Wait, <laughs> this kind of hurts." <laughs> so the very first thing that this guy comes up with, in how long did it take? I think it, just, it took him ten years, I believe, to formulate the first two laws, and these were known as the Kepler's laws of planetary motion at the time, and that was only the first two laws of motion. And that was basically number one that hey the planets move in ellipses and in in ellipses, and this was through observation data and just collection also from his from his again I don't know if it's like professor or like from his from his uh from his supervisor or whatever as I was mentioning but that Tycho Brahe individual is where basically he got his data and he kind of was like hey it kind of looks elliptical or not looks elliptical but it follows an elliptical shape. And obviously, with that, he was also intrigued in the geometry of ellipses. So he can, not he he didn't come up with it, but he was describing them as the with the sun as one of the focus. So one of the focal points of that ellipse, or the, the focus, the focal point of that ellipse was the sun. Basically, that was his idea of how these planets move. Again, he didn't still really understand, like you know, the like planets get faster and slower and stuff like that. Like he didn't really know the distance. Isn't that a or part of it? Like that. Well, a part of, well, that, that is the third law, right? Where the T and R get related. Oh. So that was actually a little bit later. But the the second law, oh, no, I guess he did. No, because that that's actually the second law. Because I, I guess he would know that. Because the second law is basically equal areas, equal time. Yeah, so he definitely knew. So I guess knew. he did know. Yeah. I guess he did know then that yeah, he did. planets do speed up at certain intervals and slow down in certain, certain intervals. And this is all contained in this shape of an ellipse, right? And if you also think about it, the second law literally will not make sense if the planets don't move in ellipses. Because the second law basically states, again, that these planets sweep out equal areas in equal amount of time. So, I, well, I, well, I guess that works. But <laughs> the fact that planets move faster and slower does not work with this particular model, right? Because in this, in a circular model, the planet would not be changing its velocity, or at least roughly it would be staying the same. Which they had observations to show that they did Exactly. Increase. So observing that, hey, this planet is just straight up moving faster over there and moving much slower over here, you're like, okay, there's obviously some correlation between both of these points. Let's try and deduce it, right? So like that, that understanding was quite powerful where he got these first two laws. He obviously contributed greatly to planet to motion itself to the planetary motion itself and to astronomical motion because a lot of this basically can convey into even like the sun moving around the galaxy 
Equal air is equal time. Kepler's law is still hope. The galaxy moving around the galactic supercenter. Oh, still hold same on. Thing. So hold on. <laughs> What's that? I don't think it holds up still. It doesn't hold up? Because of dark matter. Okay. If you add, though, that's what I'm saying. If you yeah, take but, into consideration dark matter, it would make sense. But you said you said it even holds up for the sun around the galaxy, but it doesn't. Yeah, I guess dark matter is a little bit of a little bit of a pain in the butt. But it, it, <laughs> it w- I guess it would it. theoretically work. Theoretically, if, the idea would be able to work for anything, right? That that that's that's the, his idea that hey, this can be portrayed into any planetary system. So that's his first two laws. It takes him ten years. The next law took him another 10 years to formulate the third law of planetary motion. And this is the biggest one, right? This is the biggest law that basically relates the proportionality of the of any body's uh, radius with its period or with its with its. You mean the semi-major axis? Well, like, yeah, sorry. I shouldn't say radius because it's not a circle. What am I saying? You're right. You're very right. The semi-major axis. Was, so one of the, so again, in an ellipse, right? There are, there are two axes. So along one of that axes, it basically relates that axis to the time period of that orbit, which from there, you can almost directly kind of get in, get the equations of motion for these objects because you're relating the time that it takes for them to move around one time for the time period to some unit of length right so you can basically also the mass what's that what's that related to the mass to the mass as well you know the so no as, as i said i said proportionality yeah so but, the actual but, equation itself has a lot of these variables into it as what well. i'm saying is that if you know t and a then you can find the, the mass Oh, that way, like you can also backtrack because all these equations are given in these ways. Yes, of course. And again, at the end of the day, as I mentioned, this is a proportionality statement. Like, so it wasn't, it wasn't the the equation itself. But in this time, when he had invented these three laws, this basically formulated and helped formulate the universal gravity equations, right? Newton was fueled by these very laws. You can derive Newton from these laws, right? And that's, yeah. Do you remember... What that linear graph was with the planets, where it's like the mass or like the semi-major axis versus period, and you graph the planets and they're they look linear. I was that it? Something like that. Was that was it semi-major to period? I think it was semi-major cube to period squared. squared was linear or period cube like whichever whatever the relationship wait is it it's semi-major cube right? wait that would make sense though yeah i'm pretty sure that would make sense semi-major cube to, to the squared is it's linear. A linear. It's linear yeah exactly. exactly so yeah so yeah i mean as we were just talking like if i don't know why i just talked to them like they're different but <laughs> they fully heard what we we're just talking about <laughs> but yeah so that's one observation that i guess you can also deduce from this whole from this whole thing from this whole i think idea. actually he noticed that before stating yeah that's how he made his third law now I remember. What he did is he he got the semi-major axis and the period. Oh, and then he plotted it. And he it plotted and then he it. Kept he saw it was linear. So he's like, wait, the period squared has to be proportional to No, that makes sense. The, I think I do remember yeah. something like that because I think that's how we learned it. In yeah, that's how we class. learned it too. Yeah, no, that's actually very that's cool. Very that's very cool. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think about it, if you just plot the periods and or like plot any of these two properties of these objects because... I mean, if you just think about it intuitively, 
the time period, like if you think about like a string, for example, simplest example, the time period of that string that it takes to finish one orbit will depend on the length of that string, right? So I guess from there, if you bring it down to, hey, this radius factor, radius being the semi-major axis factor, and the period are somehow related. So let's just plot a bunch of these things and let's yeah. just see what happens. And the cool thing about log it scale... Like a, it was like a guess and check. Yeah, yeah. I guess. But may, the, the cool thing about log scale plots is that all of the powers become coefficients. And so, you know, if you plot... Uh, the period versus the semi-major axis on log scale, you're going to find, like, if, pretend we didn't know the relationship and we just decided to plot it on log scale, we would see this linear relationship. And then the uh, slope of it would give us an idea of the exponent. The exponent. Yeah. And so you'd find that, that, like, T would be proportional to A, which is semi-major axis. So T proportional to A, to the power of three over two. And then from there, you can see it's T squared proportional to A cubed. Mm. That's probably, yeah, that's almost definitely what he did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the log scale definitely sounds like something he would use. That's just genius. Even though you can't, uh, you can't desmos it, you gotta do it <laughs> yourself. <laughs> oh my, how do you do that? Logs, log graph. I mean, people actually, um, when they oh, would try to, no. when you would. Video's off. Okay, well, it's audio. Yeah, Whatever. it's audio. On the um, so for for both, um, I don't even know what I was trying to say. Sorry. I was I'm talking sorry. about uh, like mental calculations. Mm -hmm. What people would do is that they would um, like write down these these power tables in log scale. So then you can just relate it back. Yeah, that's a log book. Yeah. yeah, that's a logbook. So we had those in, in really? India because we couldn't use calculators in our exam. We used to have logbooks. Yeah. <laughs> that's literally what they did like before calculators. <laughs> so, you'd have these log tables and, yeah. it's, and then when you try to like do some exponents, you'd work with the logs instead. And yeah. It's pretty, it's actually pretty genius. No, it's genius. It's pretty genius, man. It's, like it's how genius, do you think? Yeah. Like because... Man, all, all, all of these, all of these history of physics episodes just really get me thinking into like how I say this every single episode, but it really gets me thinking, man, into how these people were thinking. Yeah. So, so, so different in a way that you can't even perceive, man. A really famous thing that Kepler also did, like something that I don't even know how you would start to think about, was that the ratio of the inscribed circle to a circumcised circle of any polygon. So take any polygon, draw an oh, yeah. uh, inscribed yeah. circle and a circumcised circle. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait that can't be the word. <laughs> not circumcised. <laughs> I was, I had a moment. So, wait, like, wait, 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 I'm forgetting this. Um, circumscribed circumscribed <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry I'm so sorry <laughs> so inscribed circle and it's cir circumscribed circle on any regular polygon the ratio of those two circles the areas of those two circles is constant but in any polygon that any regular polygon true. 
That is that cannot one be true. of the discoveries of Johannes Kepler. <laughs> that can't be true. Imagine a 100-sided regular polygon. Okay, let's how, how is that ratio going to be close to a triangle? Kepler had an epiphany in 1595. He realized that regular poly- polygons bound one inscribed and one circumscribed circle at definite ratios, which might be, quote, the geometrical basis of the universe. There's no way that's true. Think about it. A 100-sided polygon, the ratio to the inner and outer circles is going to be close to one. And if you take a triangle, the ratio from inner to outer is not going to be close to one. So I don't know about Um, that. One second. One second. I think by definite... He doesn't mean constant. He means something else by definite. Maybe he doesn't mean constant. Maybe I, there's no like, way it's constant. Because yeah, because literally, if I you just if you just increase the number of sides, then the circles no, get closer wait, wait, to each other. Wait a minute. The whole point of calculating pi, <laughs> yeah, was done. Yeah, but, by the ch- difference in the areas, so it literally can't be constant, because the areas of those circles approach pi, or like the the r, like when they divided out. Like when they knew the sure. radius of it, they, it approached pi. Oh yeah, you're actually kind of right. So, um, I I think I think you might be correct there, Barger. Anyways, it, it does say definite. It doesn't say constant. It does say definite ratios. I might have misunderstood. Oh, it. I think I think like the thing the the interesting part about that is that it's not like the ratio is is not um, irrational. Like it's, there's a, there's a, like a number that you can assign to but it. But doesn't that just make sense? I don't like know. Pi r That's squared over pi r squared. You can't build a pi. Like it's a different r, of course. But like yeah, but maybe they didn't know about. I like, mean, I guess. No, they probably knew that pi was irrational. Yeah, of course they knew pi. <laughs> no, was I know, I know. But then it then that's not so impressive. Okay, okay, this was more impressive when I thought about it. I guess at first, but. <laughs> point point that I was trying to make as I started this argument was basically trying to say that these individuals thought in very interesting ways, yeah. right? Like who even thinks about, you know, putting a circle inside and the outside of these polygons? Like even to think about pi yeah. originally to do that and to keep increasing the number of sides until you get to this mm-hmm. level. Like how, how do you even, you know? Yeah. It really puts stuff into perspective, really gets you thinking about what the world of science really entails, man. What we really yeah. need to think, how we need to think. Well, so this... also I should mention to those watchers out there, you might have noticed the video is no longer present. So, <laughs> with the abundance of issues here today, we apologize. Uh, did want to mention that with the audio listeners as well. Just uh, as after we recorded the episode, it was definitely a fun episode to record. But man, were there problems. Hmm. Yeah. Anyways, anything else? No. Anything else on your individuals that you want to talk about? Uh, just uh, make sure to follow the okay. podcast mm-hmm. on Spotify. I guess. I guess that's that's the only all thing. I gotta say. I mean, why not go on YouTube too? Follow it there too. Why not? Boom. You know, go on go on Instagram too. Yeah. Why not follow us there? I mean, Instagram, as I say, all of our updates are always posted there. Like all mm. of our the fact that we were late this episode was all posted. All the updates were there. So if you do want to know, if you do want to, you know be in tune with the math and physics podcast go follow our instagram so yeah thank you so much for listening to this episode number 90 of the math and physics podcast i'm your host parker and i'm ray and we shall see you soon bye guys